take out the Word of God and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23, the final section of this uh, glorious book. It's always um, kind of heart-wrenching when you get to the end of a book that you've spent months going through. It's kind of like you're saying goodbye to a, to a good friend. Uh, we have spent uh, a long time with the church in Philippi, hearing from the Apostle Paul. And I'll remind you, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, and he writes to this church that he finds great joy and great delight in. They are serving one another. They love one another and they love Paul. They love Paul so much from Philippi to Rome. They send resources. They send gifts to Paul uh, for the sake of his time in prison. And they send a man named Epaphroditus who nearly dies along the way and yet continues to go to serve Paul. And Paul even makes an example of Epaphroditus. He is one who is willing to serve to the point of death. This an ordinary guy in the church who says, I'll take the offering and nearly dies to serve Paul. And Paul says, that's what we're looking for in the church. Those who take great joy and great delight in the gospel and they are willing to extend themselves and spend themselves and be spent for the sake of the gospel. That, that's what we're looking for, just like Christ. Remember in chapter 2, Jesus who had all authority, all power, all glory, and he doesn't cling to it. He doesn't, the, the text literally says he doesn't rob us of that. He doesn't use that to his own advantage, but he uses that for our advantage. He takes on flesh, becomes a man, he becomes a slave, becomes a curse on the cross, and yet God has lifted him up. God has exalted him, and it is at his name that we will bow and confess him as Lord forever and ever. And it is his word that we come to today. During these days as a Christian, you should more and more take great delight in the words of Christ. I hope that's going on in your life. So many opinions, so many words, so many things that we read, so many conversations that we're in about so many different things. And it's hard to know what's true, what's real. Yet we come to the Word of God, and it is the Word of Christ, and it is real, and it is our only hope. And I hope God is making that true in your life during these days. We need the Word of God. We must have it. And so we stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. Paul, who has expressed great thankfulness for the offering that the church in Philippi has sent him, in return, says this, in light of your gifts, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Oh God, we pray that would be true today. God, that we would rest in your grace to us. 
God, we come before You with nothing to bring. Nothing. And God, if we tried to bring something to You, it would be rejected. Because our hearts, our lives, our motives, our wills, our emotions are so tainted and corrupt with sin, we could offer You nothing, and so we offer You Christ. You have given us what to offer You. You have supplied our every need in Christ. May we feel it. May we know it. May we rest in it by your Spirit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Nada. I have nothing. I kept saying this with disgust in my gut to a little Peruvian girl. She stared up with, at me with her hand out. We had just arrived in Lima, Peru after spending seven days camping and hiking throughout the Andes Mountains in a couple of indigenous villages. And I had longed for that moment as I sat there on a park bench. I had longed for that moment all week, seven days. Not the moment with the little girl standing there, but the moment that I would be clean, the moment I would be well-fed and relaxed. And I'd said all week long things like, I need a shower, and, and I needed a shower, really needed a shower, seven days without a shower. And I'd just taken the most glorious shower that I've ever taken in my life there in a hotel in Lima. I'd said things like, I need a cheeseburger. I wanted a cheeseburger all week. And I just experienced the most glorious cheeseburger that I've ever eaten and eaten since. It was at TGI Fridays. It was the Jack Daniels cheeseburger, Jack Daniels sauce on it. There's no alcohol in that, just so you know. And it was glorious. I've never had a cheeseburger that tasted so good since. And so I was clean and well-fed, and I, I seemed to have everything that I had longed for all week. And I could not have been more happy, and yet I sat there disgusted. Because I stared at this little girl who was begging me for money. And her mom had sent her over to us to, to ask for money. And we'd been told about this sort of ring that went on throughout the city where these mothers and these kids were, uh, they were under the control of, we might even call pimps, uh, to go out and get money from others, specifically American, and to bring the money back. And if they didn't bring the money back, they were often abused and beaten. And there that was right before me. This little kid in a dirty diaper, scars all over her, hair a mess, begging me for money. And I was disgusted. Not really at her, but myself. Because I had thought all week of the things. We had been in this village with a lot of people who didn't have a lot of things. And all week long, I had longed for my things. All week long, I had longed for that moment to get what I need. And there, I, I don't know if I've ever seen so clearly the face of poverty. This great need, real need. 
the, the, the result of wickedness and injustice and just what was I going to do? But I had my cheeseburger and I'd had my shower and yet I didn't have much else to do to help this little girl. And so I just had to sit there with my well-fed American self and couldn't do much of anything for her condition. And you know what makes our contentment so difficult as, just to be honest with you, Americans, is we so often talk about what we want as what we need. Think about the way you talk about the things that you want. I want a new truck. I want a new computer. I want a new phone. That's the way we should talk, right? But how do we refer to those things? I need a new truck. I need a new computer. I need a new thing. I need the cats to win, right? I need these things. When in reality, they're wants. And the reason, reason we talk that way is we have rarely ever seen or experienced real need. I mean real need. Like if we don't get the money, we're not going to eat. If, if, we, if we can't somehow figure this out, we may starve to death. We, we, we've never felt that moment where we need food, we need clothing, we really need to be rescued from oppression. Those things are real, and there are people around the world who really need those things, and they feel those things. And so our wants so often should disgust us, because we talk about them as needs. And they're not really needs at all. And that's why when we get to verse 19 of Philippians, it's really hard for us to understand what Paul is exactly talking about. When he says, my God will supply every need of yours. What are the things that immediately go through our mind? Things we need. And what are they? What what are the things that you would say right now you need? Food, clothing? What are the things that you, in your gut, say, I need this to happen right now? Well, what is Paul talking about here? Well, first of all, notice he says, my God. Paul expresses this personal relationship that he has with God himself. And he says, will supply. This is actually a prayer on behalf of Paul for the church. I pray that God will supply Notice every need, and we talked about this last week, anything you would possibly need to live, food, whatever it takes, resources. And Paul says, I've learned how to starve. I've learned how to have what I need. Food, clothing, resources. But I've learned how to not have those things. And Paul says, in that category, God, I pray that God would take care of all of your needs. But notice how he describes needs here. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And here he just, he just packs these words together. And he begins with riches. And we might even translate that wealth. And he says, I I pray that God will supply every one of your needs according to His 
riches according to his wealth. And then he uses the word glory, which actually means weight. And he says, I pray that God will take care of all of your real needs. I pray that God will take care of your greatest needs in the the weight of his riches, the glory of his riches, the worth of his riches. But then he clarifies in Christ Jesus, in Jesus, who is king. And God has created the world to display the glory and wealth of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the most valuable, the supreme, the greatest king. That Jesus will be lifted up and exalted. God has said from the very beginning of time that Jesus is of most value. And here Paul says, I pray that God will supply all of your needs from this person, Jesus Christ. The most worthy, the most powerful. And here what Paul is saying is the gospel, as Paul prays these things and promises these things, he he says the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus is king, will meet all of your needs from God's great worth in Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that this begins with our greatest needs. As you think about your wants, as you think about your needs, what are they? But what are your greatest needs? When we come to the Bible, our greatest need is the fact that we need to be forgiven of our sin. And we don't move any further until we deal with that need. That we have sinned against God. And unless we are forgiven of our sin, we will spend eternity separated from God. And so what is Paul saying here? God has provided in the riches, in His glory that is displayed in Jesus Christ's forgiveness of your sin. He makes a promise here that in Christ your greatest need will be provided for. And it has been displayed on the cross in Christ. We sit here today, and what is the thing that you fear the most today? For most of us, we say death. If we, if we just drilled down and said, what is the thing that I'm scared the most of? We would all say, I'm frail, I'm decaying, and every day I live, I get closer to death. You have a great need to be rescued from death because you can't do it yourself. There's no vaccine for death when it comes for you. You will die. We will all die. We will die because we've sinned and we deserve to die. We deserve to experience death. And yet what Paul is saying here is there is something that has been provided even for your death, your greatest enemy. And it is riches that are found in the glory of Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins and has been raised from the dead, the only one who can do that, the only one who has enough worth to do that. And so Paul promises here that if God would supply all of your greatest needs in Jesus, that you can trust him to supply every other need. Think about that. If he has supplied forgiveness of your sin, is he not going to take care of your finances? If on the cross he has paid the debt for your sin, he's going to make sure you have enough money as long as you need money. 
You can trust Him to take care of you in those things. If He has promised to raise you from the dead, promised to raise you from the dead, I know it sounds comic bookish, but there's a day coming where caskets will split open. And if you are in Christ, your casket will be split open and you will be joined body and soul with Jesus forever. Don't you think if God has promised you that, He's going to take care of the diagnosis? It's going to be whatever He wants it to be? Because He has promised to raise your corpse from the ground? And Paul says you can trust Him. This is the gospel truth. This is the riches, this is the weight of Jesus that has been given to you. And you can trust Him to take care of all of your needs. And, and in light of what Paul does here, we can turn to everyone else and make the promise that Jesus will take care of your greatest need. There are folks all around you who are in great need. Great need. My family got a text this week from a friend who had, they were actually homeless. And they said to us, we are going to a place, uh, we're going to get a cot and we're going to stay in a storage unit. And there are people all around you who have great need. And as daunting as that need was for us, as overwhelming to hear that, you can look at folks around you and say, and yet Christ has already taken care of your greatest need. Whatever your condition, you can say to your kids this. The only promise you can make to your kids that is absolutely true is that if they believe in Jesus, they will be forgiven of their sins. You, you can set your kid down and promise them the world, but you can't give it to them. You can't. But you can set them down and look them in the eye and say, you need a Savior and His name is Jesus. And I want to give you Jesus. And He is the only secure promise. Who is taking care of your greatest needs. Notice Paul continues. He says to God and Father be glory. This is praise here. He, he says notice to God. To our God and Father. And, and this is the greatest privilege. We talk about this in light of adoption so often. The greatest privilege of the gospel. Is to be able to call God your Father. Notice God the creator of all things. Is our Father in Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he would talk to us about his father, he would say our father so often to his disciples. Because in him, when we believe in him, God becomes our father. And Paul is saying if God is our father, he's going to take care of our needs. And then he turns this into praise and he says, be glory. And again, this word glory means weight. And here Paul is saying, God be displayed as the one who has the most weight forever and ever. Amen. He means the most. He has the most. He is the most. He has the most gravity. He says, forever and ever. Amen. End of story. This is affirmative. This is over. God be the one who has glory. God be displayed as the most sufficient one forever and ever. And this is the promise of Scripture, that God will be displayed as the one who is most worthy forever and ever and ever. You know, that's the end of the story. That's where we're all headed, is that we will live before God 
And we will say, as Paul does here, forever and ever, God, you are of the most worth. You have the most worth. You have the most weight. You're a creator. No one is more sufficient than you. You are full. You're complete. And only in you are all of our needs met. Paul's point here is he's displayed this in the riches of Jesus Christ. He has displayed his great worth in Jesus. And forever, God's value will be displayed in Jesus. Think about this. God's goal is that he would be seen as most glorious. How forever will he be seen as most glorious? You get to delight in his glory. How has he displayed his glory? The lamb that was slain even before the foundation of the world, we will bow before him and praise him forever as the only one who could die for our sins. We will serve the lamb who died for our sins forever. And so forever and ever and ever and ever, we will say Jesus is the only one worthy, meaning Jesus is the only one who could die for our sin. We will praise and serve the lamb forever, displaying God's glory. You're the only one of of such worth. You're the only one who could do such thing. We will display God's worth by delighting in the gift that he has given us in Jesus Christ. This is why heaven, in heaven, there is this description of this river that never runs dry. And in heaven, there is a river that never runs dry, that satisfies our soul. And so we come and we drink from the river. But it never ends. Why? Because God never ends. Because He's sufficient to meet all of our needs. He's the only one who can meet all of our needs. We don't have to drink from the river and then go to our pond and fill the river back up. No, the river just runs. Because God never ends. And we will display that forever. Be glory. Be of the most worth forever. Isn't it good news that God calls us to heaven to say and display that He is inexhaustible forever? God calls us to heaven to say, I have this glorious treasure chest in my son. And and you're going to dig into that treasure chest forever and you're never going to find the bottom of it. That's the way he's wired the world to say, I'm the most glorious and you get to delight in it. Your delight in him is what displays him as most glorious. Jesus is enough. And if that's going to be your eternity... Why does your life look so different compared to your eternity? If you have eternal riches in Jesus that will satisfy you forever, why are you satisfied with so much less now? Why do you pursue so much less now? Think about the decision to sin. Whatever that sin is in your life, to look at that thing, to do that thing, to have that conversation... To say that, whatever that decision is to sin, to take part in that, that is a conscious decision to say Jesus isn't enough for me. That's what you're saying. Jesus isn't enough. I have to have this thing. I have to do this thing. I have to look at this thing. I have to say this. And what happens when you sin? Is it enough? Is it ever enough? No, it's never enough. You see, sin promises us us eternal pleasure 
in the temporary that never satisfies. And what is freedom for you so often? So often, we bow up. I'm going to do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. And we want freedom to do what we want to do. But we're never free to do what we want to do. Because we're doing what sin wants us to do. And it's never enough. It never satisfies. And so we become, we become slaves to sin. Serving our sin. And we're never satisfied. And what is so scandalous about that is God has given us eternal riches in Jesus Christ to satisfy us. And your eternity will be spent being satisfied in Jesus. So why is your present not satisfied in Jesus? Why are you not satisfied in Jesus now? That desire to sin should be fought with a desire to serve Jesus. When that desire... That temptation comes to say, Jesus isn't enough. What you should do is fight and say, oh no, Jesus is enough. And you dig into the word of God. You dig into serving others. You say, no, Jesus is enough. I don't need that. I'm not going to become a slave to that. I have eternal riches in glory. And if Jesus is enough, why are we on such a mission to to have more stuff? Such a mission to have more security. Such a mission to have such status. Why are we longing for that? Because we don't believe Jesus is enough. To stand before God forgiven and righteous isn't enough for us. We've got to make a name for ourselves. We've got to acquire other things for ourselves. And we are on a mission for that. And and so often in our lives, it is a decision, it is a conscious decision, I want this because Jesus isn't enough. You see, the reality is, if Jesus is enough in our life, if Jesus is going to be enough for us for eternity, then we should be perfectly happy to have less in this life for the sake of His name. There should be areas and categories in your life where you go, I could have more here. You may say, I could have a better name here. I I, I could have more status here. But Jesus is enough. I could have more stuff here. But Jesus is enough. And at times we do with less. Because we leverage the things we could have for Jesus. For His mission. Why? Because we say for all eternity He's going to be enough. So why is He not enough now? And Paul says, this is going to happen for you, I pray, because the gospel is true. God's going to take care of you, and you're going to feel the weight of His glory even now. And that's why in verse 21, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Greet them. This letter would be read throughout churches in Philippi, and he says, every saint. Now, the word saint means holy one, and it means one who is set apart to God. In the Old Testament, the word holy meant to be set apart. And so we go to the temple, and there's different things that are set apart to God, covered in blood, only used for worship. The priests were set apart to God, only to be used for service to God. They were holy. They were set apart to God. And here, the glorious gospel truth is that those who are in Jesus have been set apart in Christ, the King who saves, by His blood to God, to be used for God. He says, I want you to greet every saint in Christ Jesus, those who have been set apart to God. And notice he says, the brothers who are with me greet you. 
Paul, Timothy, Silas, Epaphroditus, they greet you. And then he says, all the saints greet you. So then he expands. The, the rest of the church here in Rome, especially those of Caesar's household. How powerful is that? Here in this, this one little verse, two little verses, there's this subtle but beautiful way to point to the mission of the kingdom. Paul says from Philippi, the kingdom is marching even through Rome, even through Caesar's household. And so even in Caesar's household, there were soldiers who had believed the gospel. There were slaves who had believed the gospel. There were probably even relatives who believed the gospel. And Paul says, I want you to know the mission has expanded even to Rome. And there's, this is a beautiful description of the church and the way the church expands. Think, think about the saints in Philippi. You have Lydia, the jailer, the little occult princess. They came to believe the gospel. And Paul says you have the missionaries, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. And then you have slaves, soldiers, and relatives in Caesar's household. Notice how the, who all the kingdom is made up of. Notice how the kingdom is marching to the ends of the earth, Paul is saying here in these two verses. And people who are so diverse are being drawn in. Notice it is a family Drawn into this new family, this new household, brothers that transcend even Caesar's household. I think it's so important at times to just stop and remember what we're a part of as the church. That it right now in this moment expands from Richmond to the ends of the earth. We have brothers and sisters who gathered by creeks today to praise Jesus out in the middle of nowhere in Africa. We have brothers and sisters in the Middle East who have gathered today. And it's illegal to do what they're doing today. And yet they're brothers and sisters in the kingdom marches and you can't, you can't stop it. And we live in such a time where it seems like every move we make, especially the things that we do to, to make the world that we live in better, we have to divide ourselves from other people to do it vehemently out of hatred. And yet the kingdom moves so much different. The, the kingdom moves out of love in this proclamation that Jesus is king and he loved us and he died for us and we will rule and reign with him forever. And you know what the kingdom does? This, this even, as we even think about the proclamation of the kingdom, it's repelling to some, but for those who believe it is the most unifying thing you could be a part of. So if you're disheartened by the world that you live in and you look at the chaos, you look at the division, you look at the hostility, you look at the violence. Oh, be encouraged. You are a part of the most glorious, unifying thing in the world. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus. And we gather here today to, 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 to glory in the reality that we will greet brothers in Richmond. You realize in this very room, there are folks you went to high school with. And yet there is a former Hindu here. Do you realize today we are part of missions in New Orleans? And there are folks there who their lives have been marked by gang violence and drug abuse. And we are a part of ministry there even today and even in the next few weeks to come. Where where, where we are gathering a family of people that... that 
It just would blow our mind. Under most circumstances, we wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. And yet God is collecting this family into his kingdom from Richmond to the ends of the earth. We're a part of a a ministry, even in Peru, where we have farmers who have been marred in pagan mysticism that takes place in a Catholic church. And it's so hard to explain what that even means. And yet today we can stand here and say, greet the brothers in Peru. Greet the brothers in the Middle East who are part of this glorious kingdom. And so if you want hope in the world, get in on what God is doing through his church. Get in on 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 this mission that stands in stark contrast to what's going on in the world around us as God is calling out saints of different skin tones, different cultures that transcend our current families, that transcend all of our allegiances. Delight in that. Even as you see division, even as you see chaos, delight in the fact that you're a part of something better. That Jesus' kingdom is better. And he reminds the church of that. But then he says, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is how he ends it. How's he going to sum it up? And so often we come to these things and we think, well, he's, this is just like, thanks, sincerely, this is just how he ends it. But, but Paul packs gospel into every sentence. You can't escape it. You can't escape the gospel even as he ends the letter. Notice grace, unmerited favor. That's what the word means, grace. It is unconditional favor despite what you deserve. And so grace in Jesus Christ is something you do not deserve. Now, understand that. To understand the gospel, you have to understand you don't deserve the gospel. And he says, I want this grace of the Lord Jesus. The word Lord means master, ruler, the one who created everything, the one who's been raised from the dead to rule everything. Jesus, Savior, Rescuer, King, Messiah, Christ, the Master, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. His grace be with your spirit, rest in your soul, accompany you. He says, the grace of Jesus rest on you. And we know that that happens by the power of the Spirit. Sort of a play on words here. The Spirit is the gift of grace that rests on us. Now your joy, as you read that, your joy in the Spirit will be small if your view of grace is small. Your joy, your delight in the gospel will be very small if you have a small view of grace. And grace will be small if you have a small view of your sin. Do you understand why you do not delight so much in grace? Because you think you deserve it. And one of the ways we act as if we deserve grace is we compare ourselves to others. Well, I'm not like those people who are doing those things. I would never do that. Oh, yeah, I've, I've messed up. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's human. But I would never think of fill in the blank. If that's the way you live your life, you will not delight in grace. And you will not have joy in grace because your sin's small. If you live your life thinking you are the victim, meaning every issue in your life, it's not my fault. It's the government's fault. It's my family's fault. It's someone else's fault. It's their fault. They shouldn't have cut me off in traffic. I would not have given them that gesture if they had done that. It's not my fault. It's their fault. 
And everything you do is someone else's fault. It's not your fault. You never own up to your sin. Then grace is going to be small. You're not going to delight in grace because your sin is small. And if you live your life entitled to what you have and constantly thinking God owes you more, you will not have joy in the gospel because you will not delight in grace because your sin is small. You want to have joy in grace? Here's how you do it. Grace is amazing when your sin is understood as being infinite. And how do you do that? Well, stop comparing yourself to other people and compare yourself to Jesus. Jesus is the standard of God's holiness. So when you begin to think, well, at least I'm not them, remember you're not Jesus. And you stand before Jesus who is perfect in all righteousness. The, the, the idea that we fall short of God's glory, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what that really means? God has the right to do whatever He wants because He's perfect. We don't. And yet we act like we can do whatever we want. We sin. That's called sin. Doing whatever you want and acting like you're God. You fall short of God's glory. But Jesus is a display of God's glory. For grace to be amazing, our sin has to be understood as sin against God. Some of us get that wrong. We look back on our life and we look at all the mistakes we've made. We even look at people we've hurt and we look at bad decisions and we stay there. And we're constantly trying to fix our relationship with other people. Trying to make up for it. And there's no joy in that. Do you want to have joy in grace? All of those sins are real and they've caused damage. But what's caused the most damage is all of those sins were ultimately against God first and foremost. When David commits adultery, what does he say? Against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. Why? Because you created me to live for your glory and I don't do it. I've sinned against you. And I've lived I've lived like this is all about me, and that is an infinite sin against an infinite holy God, and you deserve infinite wrath forever. And you've got to come to terms with that. Or grace will be very, very small. And we don't talk about sin to make much of sin. And we talk about sin to make much of our Savior. And we've been given grace in the Savior that Paul says here, rest upon us. And so how does that lead joy, lead to joy in your life? You can be content in anything because you know you deserve far worse. You know what you deserve is hell. And so when you have difficulty and you're, you're tempted to say, I don't deserve this, you should stop and say, no, I deserve hell because my sin's grace or, or my sin's great and I've been given grace in Jesus Christ. That's how you have joy in grace. Grace is amazing when you understand the realities of your sin. And so you live every day understanding what you deserve and yet taking joy in grace. I deserve to be shunned by God, but God has given me His Spirit in Jesus Christ. Think about that. You have been given the grace of the Spirit that rests upon you. The same Spirit when Jesus is talking about, uh, when He's standing And he's healing sickness, healing disease. He's casting out demons. The power of that spirit rests in you and has changed your heart. You deserve to be shunned by God, to have God to have nothing to do with you. And yet he's given you that spirit to rest upon you. Think about what that means for your life. Think about what you deserve to be doing right now. 
You're here at church. You ever, I, I think about that all the time. And if you're honest, let's just be honest. There are times in your life where you said, if I wasn't a Christian, think of all the things I could do today. If I wasn't a Christian, think of all the things I could do with my money. If I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't have had to get up early this morning. We've been getting up early all week, going to work, getting the kids, doing school. We've been doing all that, and I could have slept in today. Guess what? You deserve to. You deserve to be home right now, not giving a rip about Jesus Christ. That's what you deserve. You deserve to wake up today and say, I'm going to live this Sunday all for myself. I've been doing it for everybody else all week. I'm going to do Sunday for myself. That's what you deserve. And what if God allowed that to happen? What if you didn't have the grace? It's not common sense. Some of you think, well, I just got enough common sense to go to church. No, 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 it's grace. In Jesus Christ. And God has given you grace in this moment. And you should live every day thinking about this. What would, I, what would I be doing instead of reading my Bible? What would I be doing instead of going to BFG? And then just stop and say, yeah, and I deserve that. You deserve more money. You deserve, to do, you deserve more money. You deserve it. Because you deserve to not care about Jesus. And yet God has been gracious to you. So that you don't live in such hell. You don't live apart from Him. He's been kind to you. Live in that day after day. You deserve to live in fear right now, and yet you have the answer of the kingdom. You deserve, as the world crumbles around you, as everyone crumbles around you, there are doubts about elections, insecure about finances, there is great worry. You deserve to be caught up in that and scared to death, and yet by the power of the Spirit that rests upon you in the grace of Jesus Christ, you know with certainty Jesus is Lord. And so as as bad as the world continues to get, Jesus just gets better. And that's the grace of God that rests upon you in Jesus Christ. You deserve to live in guilt, but by the power of the Spirit, God's love is poured out upon you over and over. In in Romans chapter 4 and 5, Paul describes that work of the Spirit that rests upon us, this work of grace in our life as we think about our sin. The, The Spirit is explained as just pouring God's love upon us, reminding us that in the Son we are loved as the Son. As as we feel the brunt and guilt of our sin, the Spirit reminds us of the love of Christ for us, that on the cross we have already been outed. That in Jesus we have righteousness. That's what the Spirit does for us. You deserve to live in guilt. But you can look your sin in the eye and say, no, I've been given grace. You see, when we realize what we deserve, we should be absolutely disgusted with the things that we so often want, especially in light of what we really need. You see, the reality is we are the dirty-faced kids standing there in the waste of our sin. And it is by grace that we stick our hand out and ask. And yet Jesus doesn't sit there glutted in righteousness and his glory and his riches. No, he gives us what we do not deserve. He becomes the abandoned son on the cross. Giving us more than we could ever want. 
as he supplies all of our needs.